welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. Many Christians have relegated communication with God to a daily Bible reading plan, which is important. And the occasional warming of the spirit where they might perceive God saying something, but that's all they have. And they've locked God out of the vast ways that he wants to speak with us. So I'm not, please hear my heart. I love the word. You know, if you're part of this church, I preach the word every week. I live in the word. It's my passion. But I do know that God speaks to us in many and varied ways, all backed up by the word and validated. So some of the things I'm going to share uh, are going to be um, pictures and like parables in a way, but I want you to see what God is saying because God is speaking to us on many levels. So one of the ways I hear from the Lord, what are you saying to the church? What are you doing right now in this city? One of the ways that God speaks to me is through nature and events that are taking place around us. Every significant event, I believe, you may disagree, but every significant event in the nation that causes the nation to stop and ponder and talk about on a lengthy basis, God is in that event and speaking. As if he wouldn't. So Mark eleven twelve, And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it wasn't the season for figs. Underline that in your Bible or in your notepads or in your iPhone if you can. For it wasn't the season for figs. In response to that, Jesus said, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. And you know the story, the next morning they come back and they look at the fig tree and it's dried up and it actually dried up from the roots. And they were astonished that Jesus could speak a word to this fig tree, which was a picture of Israel and it was dried up from the roots. There's so many things you could talk about in that passage. But particularly I want to draw your attention to the whole concept that we talked about at Hope Hubs that was... The fig and the leaves grew together. So in a fig tree, they both grew at the same time. So when Jesus saw the fig tree with the leaves appearing and no fruit, it was a sign that the fig tree was out of order, out of season, out of timing. The leaves had come out of timing. They'd appeared before timing. They'd actually come too early. The fruit was yet to come. So Jesus looked at this tree and it was a picture of Israel that didn't understand the timings of God. In fact, behind that was the enemy who comes to alter the times and seasons. And that's what Jesus cursed. He cursed the spirit behind this that would alter the seasons and times so we couldn't step into destiny. Israel had a destiny. They had a Messiah on their doorstep. And Satan came and altered the times and seasons. And that's why, if you have a Jewish friend, they are still looking for the Messiah. They're out of time and season. And that's what Jesus cursed. And you need to understand that there will be many things in your life that seem like what God says hasn't come to pass. Some of you have had prophetic words, promises, 
And, it, and, and because it hasn't happened, there's been an inclination to say the prophet was wrong, stone the prophet. Maybe there was something wrong with me. Maybe God changed his mind. And, but what, behind it, what has been behind it is the enemy has come in and altered the seasons and the times. And God began to speak to me and say to me, sometimes there is delay in the promises of God because the enemy comes in and alters the times and seasons. And that is what you've got to address. So there may be a, a purpose for this city, for this church, for your life. And it may be being frustrated. And some Christians erroneously believe because what God says ha hasn't come to pass in many areas, therefore God didn't say it. Really? Are you serious? Do you understand what, how the Bible, what it, what it teaches us? Do you think because God says something, it will automatically come to pass? Do you think the devil would just stand there and watch the purposes of God unfold without trying to alter and manipulate what's taking place in your life? I had a dream that um, I was preaching in this church and there was across to my left, there was a woman who was demonized. And I knew she was demonized because her face began to contort while I was preaching. And I looked across and I noticed that she was manifesting in her seat. And she got up and she came towards me while I was preaching. And I rebuked her. Not her, but the spirit behind her. And um, she stopped and she, says, she said to me, I'm leaving now, but I will come back tomorrow. And when I come back, I shall be delivered. It's a strange dream. And I awoke, and it was 3 a.m. in the morning. And uh, whenever I wake from a dream, I'll look at my clock, because sometimes there's a correlation of timing in the dream. And as I looked at the clock, there was something. Um, we have a two-story house, and there was something in the wall of our bedroom. And as I looked at the clock, whatever was in the wall fell, and it hit every beam, it sounded like, in the walls all the way down to the floor. Boom, 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 boom. I thought there's something going on. And we have authority to begin to break strongholds that are delaying the purposes of God. And as we do that, we need to know that as we speak to every spirit that would hinder your purpose and your destiny, like Jesus did with his fig tree, the moment you begin to address, you begin to see and address, something begins to shift. It begins to fall. And I'm here today to empower you to see that just because your destiny hasn't come to pass doesn't mean that you're now powerless. Daniel 7.25 says that the devil speaks pompous words against the Most High and he persecutes all. That word persecute is to wear out the saints by altering the times and the laws. He wants to alter the timing of your destiny. I want you to see that today because some of you may have given up. You've had a plan, a purpose, a promise. Maybe it's not just a personal thing, but a family thing or a citywide thing. 
And God's shown you things, and it seems like it's being delayed. I want you to know behind that, the enemy is seeking to alter and manipulate the times. And much of the church sits back and says, well, God, if it's going to happen, you'll do it. Isaiah 66, 9 says, Shall I bring to the point of birth and not give delivery, says the Lord? Or shall I who give delivery shut the womb, says your God? God has promised us that if he gives us a promise, if he gives us insight into what he wants to do, he will not bring it to the point of birth and then not cause delivery. And what I'm beginning to discover is it's the delivery time when all hell breaks loose, when there needs to be a stepping up of the church rather than saying, well, if it's going to happen, it will happen. That's the time where we begin to take authority over what the enemy... See, he comes to shut up the womb at the point of delivery. You say, is that true? Well, let me give you a few examples. Consider Moses. I've got a number of examples here. Moses... In the mind of God, Moses was created to be a deliverer. Moses' parents, Jochebed and Amran, their names mean the God who will be glorified and the God who will exalt a nation. And they were, they, see, that, there's a prophetic thing. They had, when they came together, see, there's a coming together of the church where we get a passion for God to be glorified and for his people to be elevated in society. And out of that comes a delivering spirit. And the enemy knew that God was about to raise up a man who was going to set free a people in bondage and slavery. It's the same thing happening today. Right across the body of Christ, so many people are actually bound and oppressed and being minimized by the devil. When I look at you today, I see people that God wants to use to change this city. I see the head and not the tail. I see people that are called to influence mountains of society, to be influential. But the reality is that many people don't see themselves that way. So God raises up deliverers. And, and what I love about this is that God's raising up Moses in the life of his mother and father. But here the enemy is resisting what God wants to do. But it says that in Hebrews 11.23 that when Moses was born, he was hidden three months by his parents because they saw, they saw destiny on his life. They realized that there was something coming against them. And, and the Bible tells us that they resisted, that they actually began to make choices to protect this promise and war over this promise. There were mothers and fathers handing over their sons to, to be drowned in the river Nile. But Moses' parents say, over my dead body, this boy ain't going to die. We're going to keep this boy. It doesn't matter what happens. We will risk our life. We will not allow the enemy to sabotage the destiny over this child. For they realized there was a war over this boy. And you've got to understand that when it comes to the point of delivery of the purposes of God for your life, you have to stand up and fight. Are you hearing me? Don't roll over like a dead dog. Don't just say, well, God, if it's going to be, will be. There comes a time and God does it. There's a reason God does it. He doesn't need you. He could blow up the devil with one breath. 
He does this because he's trying to teach you what's inside you, that you are more than an overcomer, that you are a son and a daughter that are created to rule and reign with him. There would be something wrong with a parent who continually did everything for their child. And you imagine it when the child's 18 and you're sitting next to this child and you're cutting their, their, their meat and you're, you've got the fork out and you're shoving it in their mouth like you do to a two-year-old or a one-year-old. God's doing this on purpose. He's bringing it to the point of delivery and then he's asking you to get involved. And we see that over and over again. I've got so much more I could say about Moses. But it's the same with Jesus. Think about at his birth. Isn't it interesting that when significant things are happening, when something is about to be birthed, the enemy comes to destroy, to alter the seasons, to disrupt, to contend. But I've noticed that whenever God brings something to birth, he raises up prophetic people that would see in the spirit, that would decree and declare, that would do a prophetic action to bring that to birth. So with Moses, who does he raise up? Miriam. Miriam keeps Moses afloat where everyone else is dying. She gets the promise. She builds an ark. They build an ark. They put the boy in the ark and she protects that promise. The prophetic in the times of, of when there's all hell breaking loose, that's your moment where you begin to prophesy and decree over what's taking place. You're feeling a pushback. That's not the time to go into a cave. That's the time to decree and say, Father, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You are powerful people. And there are times when I go into assault mode, where I say, God, life is not fair. It's not working out how it should. I think I will give up. And God says to me, I thought I made you powerful. I thought you wanted to partner with me. I thought you believed what you preached. I thought that, that you would prophesy when, when there are dry bones. I actually thought that you were greater than what you think you are. Get up. Be a man. Be a, be, be a, a son of God. Rise up, young man. So, so Miriam does that. She, she nurtures the promise. Same with Jesus. When he's about to be born, all hell is breaking loose. All the boys are being slaughtered. And so what does God do? He raises up prophetic people who will protect him until his birth. Simeon, he's called by God and God says, you won't die till you see the consolation of Israel. You will see him and you will know that he is here. Until he comes and you hold him in your arms, you will pray and you will intercede and prophesy. And by doing that, you will ensure the promise comes to pass. Anna, another one, who's in, uh, in the temple prophesying, praying day and night and fasting. She's from the tribe of Asher. And she's praying and interceding for the breakthrough. Asher is important because Asher is the eighth child of Jacob, but also the second child of his mother. And when you put eight and two together, you get new beginnings and a witness. She's the witness of new beginnings. That's what the tribe of Asher is about. Their role is to witness the new breakthrough, the new beginnings. And so she's been appointed by God to pray and prophesy and intercede until the new beginnings are revealed. And my friend, you're the same. Some of you, like me at times, you've, you've backed off. You've sat down and said, 
Well, if it's to be, it will be. My friend, God's raising up a church of warriors that say, Lord, I feel that there's about to be a breakthrough. Show me how to intercede. Show me how to prophesy. Show me where you want me to go. What streets do you want me to go down and release the kingdom? How can I get involved in the breakthrough of this city? Let me tell you something. This may pop your balloon. But the day of coming to church and singing a few nice songs and getting a few little life keys to go on and do your nice pretty life is all over. God's popped that balloon. And if you live like that, the devil will take you out. I'm not saying you won't go to heaven, but he will come and he will disillusion you. You were built for war. David, as the warrior, he sat on in his palace and instead of going to war, he started, his eyes started to wander and he saw a pretty little babe and all of a sudden his kingdom was turned upside down. You're built for war. If you're not engaging in the purposes of God, you're a sitting target for the enemy. Daniel was another example that, that when he sees God's purpose, he's reading the book of Jeremiah, the prophecies of Jeremiah. He realizes 70 years after we get taken into Babylon in exile that God's going to deliver us. So he doesn't just pull out his deck chair and say, okay, God, bring it on. What's he do? He begins to intercede and fast and say, God, bring it now. Bring it now. Let the delivery come. Are you seeing this? That, that the question is, who's waiting on who? Who's waiting on who? What's going on in our world when we feel like things are out of timing and out of order? Where, where we thought God was going to do that and it didn't happen. Did I get it wrong? I want to say many times you haven't got it wrong. You just haven't been engaged in the process of bringing heaven to earth. That's incredibly empowering. It's not discouraging. It's not beating you up. It's saying you have a role to play in seeing the kingdom come. Karen and I have been actively involved in engaging the enemy over this city. Something we do together during the week. And God showed me a picture as we were sitting down to have lunch at a cafe one day. I opened up the paper and this is what I saw. Have a look at this. Some of you may have seen this. This was taken in uh, Como Gardens in the basin. There was a, a story about a photographer and his name was Christopher. And he took pictures of an encounter where a... and He said it was a crow, but it's, just so you know, it's not a crow, it's a raven. Uh, it's an Australian raven, the b biggest raven in all the world. The flying monkey, they call them. And this raven came up against a duck with its two little ducklings. And it, you can see right there, it's got one of the ducklings in its beak and it's about to make off with one of the promises. And as it does that, a magpie comes and engages the raven and defeats him. And there's the mother duck squawking as well. And this man, Christopher, is sitting there. He's, he's a Herald Sun photographer. And one of the ducklings runs to him and hides under his legs. And see, this is the thing, is that God is speaking in so many ways. And we can look at that and they go, oh, what a lovely story. But when you understand 
the pictures behind this. See, the raven in the Bible, many of you know, is not a good picture. It's a picture of the enemy. The raven comes, he's, he's, he's a picture of the cursed system of the world. You know, when the raven was released from Noah, it goes and it feeds on the flesh. It's looking, it, it's feeding on the dead things, on the things of history, not of uh, things that have been judged by God. And the Bible says that as you read through the scripture, the raven plucks out the eye of the prophetic. You can see that in uh, Proverbs 30 verse 17. It feeds on a blinded gospel. It's, it's a picture of the enemy. And here he is, he flies in and he's about to attack a duck that has two ducklings. These ducklings uh, represent a couple of things. One of them is the promises of God for you. And he's come to take them out before they mature. See, the ducklings are in a vulnerable place. They're on a park, not in the water. And the enemy wants to come and destroy what God has given you before it matures. Christopher so happens to be in the garden. Christopher is short for Christ. He's a picture of Christ. And he's going to protect the promises. He's with you in the storm. He's with you when you've got dreams that are way bigger than what you can do. He's watching what's going on. And he sent a magpie, which is magpies are by nature protective of that which is young. They are a picture of the angelic hosts that come to war with you over the promises of God that you're called to bring to bear. And the Lord led me to Psalm 124. He said, if the Lord hadn't been on our side, Israel would say, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, they would have swallowed us alive. Their anger was against us. The waters would have engulfed us. The stream would have swept over our soul. Israel is saying, God, we've got a promise that is so big and an enemy that is after us that if you don't come and fight with us in this battle, as we stand up against the enemy, we have no power against this enemy. This dream is way bigger than what we could ever do. But we know, God, that as we prophesy, as we walk through the streets that you've called us to inhabit, as we go into the sectors like the babes, as they go into Frankston, they are going into the den of iniquity. They are going into a stronghold where the enemy is stealing, killing, and destroying. And, but they know in the midst of that that God is with them. They're saying, God, if you're not with us, we will be taken out. This is way too big for us. These are demons and strongholds that sometimes have been there for generations that are stealing young lives. If it hadn't been for God, we would be swallowed up. But they go on to say, But blessed be the Lord who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of a trapper. The snare is broken and we have escaped. And I'm here to tell you that if the enemy has come and grabbed some of your promises... The Bible says here in Psalm 124 that God's going to come. He's sending his angels right now and you're going to escape out of the plans of the enemy. He's seeking to steal your promise. He wants to take it away before it even gets wings 
to fly. But God has sent his angels. Jesus is in the park. He is watching. He will gather the promises and you under his arms. He shall protect you. And that photographer took the duckling and he brought it over to the mother in the water and they were all saved. And I'm here to tell you, doesn't matter what the devil's done to your promise or your future or your dreams. The Bible says that God's going to come and take them out of the snare of the fowler, take them out of the beak of the raven. He's sending his angels and they will war on your behalf if you will only stand up and begin to fight. But let me tell you something else. I'll go a little bit deeper now. Is that all right? Because these two birds, for those that have ears to hear, are a picture of the prophetic and the apostolic. And Paul prayed for a spirit in Colossians chapter 1, of wisdom and understanding. Understanding is the prophetic mantle that causes us to engage in heaven and get God's mind and plan for our life. And this is the challenge for the church because I said to our leaders the other week that We're in a season where the prophetic is being highlighted all around the world in the church. But the problem is that most of the church, or many in the church, I don't want to exaggerate, but many in the church have taken the prophetic as a means for themselves. Speak about me, Lord. Tell me how wonderful I am. Deliver me, Lord. Let me have a nice little prophecy for my friend. And there's a place for that encouragement. It's valid. But they thought that's where it ended. The prophetic is there to release the apostolic. Understanding gives us the mind of God. Wisdom teaches us how to build the kingdom. The prophetic comes in maturity to unlock in our hearts so we see what God sees about our city, about our community. So again, for Helen, when she's going to Frankston, God, what is your mind for this area? See, the prophetic, the true nature of the prophetic is to give us eyes that see out. See out. What is it you're seeing, God? And then wisdom, the apostolic comes and it begins to build what I see. Psalm 121 8 says, The Lord will watch over your going out and your coming in. That's coming into the mind of God. And then going out. We think it just meant going out, coming back to our house each day. It's actually going in to the very mind of God and then going out and building. And these little ducklings are a picture right now of what is happening in our city. That God has entrusted you with this mantle of the prophetic and apostolic. So don't say, well, I'm not apostolic. My friend, you are apostolic. The Bible says that the devil will be bound for a thousand years in a bottomless pit. One school of thought, the predominant school of thought, is that literally the devil, an angel will come with a chain and chain it up and throw it in a pit. But, and I'm not saying that's not true, so don't stone me. But what if it also means that a bottomless pit is a pit without a foundation? That there will come a time when there will be a rising, because the, the foundation of the church is built on the prophetic and the apostolic. 
Is it not? Does not Paul say that? Yeah? Am I making that up? He says it's built on the apostle and the prophet with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. So what if God is saying that he's raising up a people in this generation, we pray, that will bring a new foundation into our community based on the revelation that they are prophets and apostles or functioning in that, in that realm to such a degree so they bring the mind of God, get the mind of God, and then they build into the city the kingdom values right through society to such a degree that a new foundation is created. And the devil's system no longer has a foundation. What if he takes away the foundation of the devil that this world system is built upon? Lies, greed, manipulation, anger, resentment, judgment, oppression, bondage. What if we get such a revelation of God, of his mind for this city, and then begin to implement it that the enemy's foundation is no long and he is put in a bottomless pit where now his system has no foundation in society. That's a far grander plan than the devil being thrown in a pit somewhere where he's free-falling, skydiving for a thousand years. So these two little ducklings are a picture that God wants us to war over this new revelation and mindset for our city. I want to say to you, that, and I know it's a challenge because sometimes we're, we're just trying to survive another day in our household. And then, now you're asking me to think, beyond myself. But God has called you to be apostolic and prophetic in the way you see life. John 9, 6. And in this story, Jesus is functioning as a prophet. Verse 17 of John 9 says that. And it's a story where, you know, a blind man is brought to Jesus. And you know, many of you have read this story, that Jesus spits on the ground and makes a mud pie. Builds it, slaps it in the guy's eye and says, all right, off you go. Go and wash in the pool called Siloam and you'll be healed. So I've read that story many times and thought that was gross. You could have done it much easier. But I guess it's a nice miracle the, boy got his, the man got his sight back. And I've just moved on. But I began to look at this and realize that it was so much more, as it is with all Scripture, if you have eyes to see and you're praying the Spirit, God... No story in the Bible is there just for a, a history lesson. You're, you're saying something to Israel at that time, but to your church. So Jesus spits on the ground and the spit comes out of his mouth. It's, it's, it's a picture of prophetic. He's doing something prophetic here. And the ground is a picture of a cursed system. What was cursed in the garden? It was the ground, thorns and thistles. So he's actually doing something prophetic to deal with a cursed mindset. And then he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. Again, I see that. That the role of the prophetic is to speak into the cursed systems of this world and then bring a revelation of the apostolic. Because sent, the word sent, if you look it up in the Greek, is the same word used for apostle. I'm going to speak prophetic words over you. I'm going to anoint your eyes. I'm going to speak over those areas that are fallen and broken. 
And then you're going to go in that anointing and wash in an apostolic pool and you're going to get sight. And I believe that the church will truly gain sight of its identity and its calling and purpose when we get the, the prophetic that begins to speak over our city and over the resistance. And as we do that, it will unlock an apostolic well. And that well will begin to build and plant and nurture. So the, when the attack comes on the timing and the birthing of God's purposes, I want to give you three things very quickly that you can do. And they're just very short things, but this will help. And I've sort of been bouncing around ideas, but I'm trying to build, I guess, an overall view of what God is doing and what you need to do in this time. And so when the devil comes against us to try and alter the times and seasons and the purposes of God for our city, three things that I want you to do this week. Number one, rebuke him. We speak to the devil and he will flee. Resist the devil and he will flee. Resist him. Isaiah 54, 17 says that no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Did you hear that? The enemies come with weapons. But our weapons, we've got weapons too. And the weapons of our warfare aren't fleshly weapons, but they are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. So we know, like that dream I had of the thing falling down the, the, the wall, I know that when I speak like the fig tree, it may not look like anything has changed, but when I speak in the realm of the Spirit, the roots are drying up. And soon I will see on the outside what has taken place in the realm of the Spirit. And sometimes when we begin to speak, and we're coming against wrong timings and the manipulations of the enemy, if we don't see an immediate result, we give up. My friend, Jesus knew that once he spoke, it was a done deal in the spirit. And you need to have a mindset that says, when I speak, it will shift. It's not a, just give a try. You come with authority, my friend. Do you hear me? I'm speaking to you now. You've got authority. You've got authority over the devil. And all his plans and his manipulation and his... his, his uh, his infiltration into God's plan for your life. Get up and speak to the devil and say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Get your hands off my destiny, off this church, off my children, off this city in Jesus' name. You stand up and rebuke the fig tree. If it's out of timing... If it's been manipulated by the devil, rebuke him. We sang today, this is the day that the Lord has made. What does that mean? Oh, this is a nice day. No! This means this is an ordained day by God. When we sing that song, we're saying, devil, you are not going to manipulate this day. This is not yesterday. This is not tomorrow. This is today. Are you getting that? This is today. This is the day that God has made. That means every purpose, every destiny shall be fulfilled. Yes. Are you getting that? This is not a pretty song. This is a declaration that the timings of God shall come to pass. You stand in your house. 
You stand in your business, you go to your calling, and you prophesy, God, let your will be done. This is a day, is a Old Testament version of heaven come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are saying, God, as I stand here as your representative, I am demanding that your purpose stand in a fallen, corrupt system. Isaiah 54, 17. And every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, God will defend. Now he says, you shall condemn. You will. And you see, once you do that, God sends the magpie. God sends his angels that heed his word as you condemn. And it goes on to say, this is the inheritance of the saints. God's given you this as a gift to speak. Do you hear that? Stand up and fight. Rebuke the devil when he alters times and seasons. Daniel did that for 21 days. And as one man spoke, it unlocked Gabriel and Michael the archangel who began to war over the prince of Persia. My friend, I don't look for a demon under every chair, but there's more demons than what we give credit for that are resisting your progress. And when he began to prophesy and decree in the name of Jesus, it says that Michael came and he began to engage the enemy in warfare for 21 days, mind you. I, I can't understand how that could happen. But there's this incredible warfare and some of you wake up and you feel oppressed. There's a war going on over the purposes of God. Stand strong. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. Hello, Demons, angels, God, devil. This is the world that you're part of. Resist the devil. Rebuke him in Jesus' name. One of the greatest ways that we can rebuke him is to worship. We stand in the middle of the, of the, um, the, the um, prison, like Paul and Silas, and they began to worship in the midnight hour. My friend, that was repulsive to the devil. You begin to worship. It's a great form of rebuking him. Though the fig tree doesn't blossom, there is no fruit on the vine, everything's gone eh? Well, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. Praise is so powerful. You can't praise God in heaven like you can praise him now because there's so much contradiction to what I'm seeing and feeling. And when I worship God here, it is the highest form of faith and resistance and warfare. Anyone can worship in heaven, but it takes a real man or woman of faith to worship in contradiction. And so we rebuke the devil and he shall flee. So when you feel like he's coming in altering times and seasons, rebuke him. Daniel did that. Miriam did that. Anna did that. Simeon did that. Second, then we displace him. See, a lot of Christians rebuke and that's all they ever do. But the Bible says that if you bind a strong man and you don't replace him, he comes back seven times stronger. You've got to have a strategy for what you do when you beat him up. We rebuke the spirit of mammon over our city, but have no strategy how to get it. We displace him. We bring apostolic prophetic rank into place, into, into the atmosphere, and we move him out. So in other words, for me, one of my passions is seeing finance come into the kingdom. So I rebuke the spirit of mammon and greed. I say in the name of Jesus, you will not bring that casino into Geelong, Mr. Packer. In Jesus' name, you get out. You will not rob, kill and steal and destroy good people through addiction. In Jesus' name, get out. 
I rebuke him, but then I need to displace him. I go into those areas. I walk through the streets, whatever your passion and calling is, and I begin to bring the kingdom. I physically do that. I know the kingdom's within me, and I walk down and I release the kingdom. I welcome in the kingdom to all those areas. See, wherever you go this week, the highways and the byways, what, if you're in the city working, in a school, you bring the kingdom, you actively engage in displacing the enemy. When you walk into the shops, I'm releasing the kingdom. I'm praying in the spirit. I am the light of the world. I am the salt. And so when we start, when I say we, because it is we, when we start the babes in Frankston, we are displacing. We're coming in there and we're bringing the kingdom. Where there's darkness, I release it. You are so powerful, my friend. And so you rebuke the devil, but then you displace him. What you've rebuked, you step into and say, okay, God, let your kingdom come here. Where there's been restriction, where the enemy, and I'm telling you right now, the plans for this city have been hindered by the devil. There's been a delay because we haven't seen what he's been doing. He's been stealing our babies, our ducklings, our apostolic and prophetic mindsets. He's lulled us into an apathy and misunderstanding of our calling. But we're starting to get wind of that. We're starting to see. We're rebuking that spirit and now we're displacing that. I'm speaking over you today that you are apostolic and you are prophetic. You've got eyes to see true reality. You're apostolic. You're called to build in this city. I'm displacing the enemy. And thirdly, we're replacing. Rebuke, displace, and replace. What's that mean? I'm glad you asked. There's no point rebuking and displacing without replacing. And that means this. And this is what Babes is doing and Vanessa is doing with the Hope City mission. What that means is that you bring systematic kingdom teaching into an area so the system of God can replace a fallen system. So in other words, we say, you do not have to abort your child because you think there's no support. That is a fallen system. So you know what it's built on? It's built on every man for himself. It's built on selfishness. And I'm talking about the mothers. I'm talking about selfishness of society that says you're on your own. You got yourself in this mess. Sort it out yourself. We're displacing that mindset that says when we have a godly kingdom mindset, it's all of society begins to help one another. What did they do in Israel? The poor could come and glean from the rich. They could come, they, the rich were commanded to leave on their boundaries food so the poor could come in and eat and be satisfied. So it's not just point rebuking. You've got to then come in and replace with a new system. And that's where the church in some areas has failed. We've rebuked, we've had prayer meetings, binding the devil, and that's great. But now God's saying, do you know what? It's time to replace. Wherever you go, begin to rebuke, displace, and replace. Bring, bring kingdom mindset teaching. Wherever you are, it, see, it's, it's in every level of society. See, the, the, every time you say no to deception, any time that you buy someone something for free, I've done that, I've gone into cafes and people have been eating, drinking, and I just go up to the counter and say, I'll pay for that table. Uh, sometimes the best ones to do to is Christians because they're the ones that get 
blown away the most. What am I doing? I'm bringing kingdom values. I'm replacing selfishness with generosity. You see, it comes in every... The way up on the top of society, governmental decisions, down to, as we do it to the least of these, you do it unto me. And as we, do, as we begin to see with prophetic eyes and then begin to build with apostolic hearts, we will stop the enemy fiddling with times and seasons. And that's my call for you this week. Do not allow the enemy to steal the timings of God over your life and over this city. Father, thank you today for this word. I pray, Lord, that as we go home, that it would just begin to filter through. Different things that I've said, Lord, would just trigger off new mindsets, new ideas. I pray that you would so unlock the prophetic apostolic mindset of your people. Cause them to see who you've made them to be. Lord, I thank you that you've come to Give us a prophetic mind that hears what you're saying, perceives what you're doing. We have eyes to see and ears to hear. Our, our spiritual senses are attuned to your movement and your guiding and your leading. And I thank you, Lord. And I, I just pray over every person right now for increased ability to perceive your holy communication. Won't you lift your hands wherever you are? Father, in the myriad of ways that you speak, give your people such a prophetic mantle. Every one of them, because Lord, we are all prophetic. We all can hear. You said, my sheep hear my voice, and they will not follow the voice of a stranger. So I say, let the divine airwaves be clear to receive and, and perceive what God is saying. I break right now all the unholy uh, noise that's coming to separate us from what you're doing. Lord, let there be such a clear avenue between what you are and what we are. So we hear all the time. Let that, that channel be so, so like Jacob's ladder, moving up and down. And I pray too, Lord, that this apostolic anointing, let it rest heavily on every person here. Lord, you've called us to be builders in the kingdom, to bring your kingdom principles everywhere we go. We shall replace every fallen system in this world. And we just say together collectively, and we pronounce this over the enemy, that your plans and timing and seasons shall not stand in our lives, in our family, in this church and in this city. We decree today that this is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day. This is the day. This is the year as we sang of Jubilee. And your purposes, Satan, shall not stand. We thank you, Father, that you raise up apostolic and prophetic people at every key moment of, of the world, of, of life, to usher in your purposes. And your purpose shall stand, I say. And I speak to every dream, every promise that seems like it got put on hold. And I call it back to life again in Jesus' name.